Welcome to Punch Card Investing, a weekly show dedicated to all things value investing. Whether it be analyzing companies, pitching ideas, or discussing moves by the best investors in the world, we're trying to get one step closer to punching an investment off of our cards. Let's get started. Always a great day when Intro Man plays a part. So thank you for that excellent performance once again, Intro Man. I'm joined by two um, less frequent guests, I suppose. Patrick, you're becoming a frequent guest uh, at this point. But we're joined by Patrick with Part-Time Investing YouTube channel and then the return of Mike Sharp of Sharp Investing. So welcome to both of you guys. And uh, definitely looking forward to getting into this Best Ideas episode. Um, since it's been a while since we did one of those, probably a bit overdue, um, but that is, uh, that's kind of what we're going to be diving in, try to give our best ideas. And I always have to give the caveat that best does not necessarily mean good, could be the best of the worst, but you know, we're going to try to find some potentially interesting ideas, talk about them. And, uh, if, if you're, uh, if you'd like to do further research on those ideas, by all means do it since uh, we're not necessarily recommending that you go for any of these stocks, but we're just trying to jog uh, some ideas and, and see what's out there right now. So um, with that said, before we get into uh, those best ideas, definitely check out all the great stuff in the description below. We have our links to uh, ShareSite and Seeking Alpha. You can get some discounts there. And you can sign up for free versions as well using our link. And if you ever switch to a premium version, uh, you can get that discount. So um, please look into that. And that would go a long way towards helping the channel. And check out our Discord as well. Uh, Mike, I know you've been a, a longtime uh, Discord contributor uh, for us. So um, uh, that's kind of where we initially met there. So it's a, it's a, it's a nice little group in there. So uh, check that out. Um, and like, comment, subscribe. As always, if you haven't already, if you've been coming to all these episodes, we're approaching episode number 100. As our friend Eunice in the chat has pointed out, uh, we are getting very close. So that's exciting. Um, and we just crossed 4,000 subscribers on YouTube. So that's very exciting as well. So making good progress here on, on the Punch Card channel. And uh, we've got some interesting things in the works as well for more content here on the channel uh, with more personalities and, and contributors coming in. Uh, to help us uh, to improve our content and create totally new content as well beyond just this live show or, or if you're listening to this after the fact, this uh, sort of live recorded show. Um, so stay tuned for that. Subscribe so you don't miss any of that. And with that said, let's get into these best ideas, guys. First off, how are you guys doing? Um, I, it's been a couple of weeks since, we haven't, since we've had an episode. Patrick, I think it's been a, a few weeks since you've been on. And Mike, I don't know when the last time you were on, but do you remember uh, when that last one was, Mike? Oh, I know it was a summer sub, so it was. I think it was last summer. Approaching a year, then. Yeah, oh, I, I think you you like a. Yeah, you're you're a little delayed on the audio, Mike. So I, it, it must uh, it, the audio and is back in that last year. So it's it's it needs a year to catch up or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, but but we do hear you. Um, and uh, yeah, Patrick, how are you? I'm good. Uh, disclaimer, I'm actually on call for my job like right now this weekend. So I might have to, you know, take a phone call or something. But oh, that, when that, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Very important business. Okay. <laughs> good to know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shouldn't happen though. Low chance. But since we're doing the podcast, it's more likely, I figure. Yeah. <laughs> right. When the stars align. <clears throat> 
Well, maybe yeah. maybe we just rip the Band-Aid off, Patrick. I don't know if you have a best idea you'd like to pitch to us. Um, we can kind of get into that to start um, and, and see sure. what we're working with. So like I told you all, I have my, my best that's been a winner and the best uh, that I think will be a future winner, but is the current not so much winner, right? So I'll start with the winner first. I think um, I've done many videos on them at core. They are a um, just high level. It's an American uh, industrial company that makes pieces and parts for electrical, I guess, infrastructure. And they're really seeing a boom with all the increased uh, spending for capital projects and stuff in the U.S. And they're really that's kind of the the general thesis. But then whenever you dive into the company itself, you know, low debt, growing free cash flow um, and then really good capital allocation where, I mean, the repurchases are just pretty crazy. And they've made it clear that I just love whenever here management say something like, you know, we're repurchasing shares because it is the best thing we can do with our money right now. Cause it's so, cause it's so discounted, you know, that's, that's like music to my ears, right? What's that uh, ticker? ATKR. Now I do, I, I am in at a much lower cost basis than it currently is, but the reason it's, it's pretty much the only stock I have that I think I would truly, you know, if I woke up and saw it was down 50% or something, I think I'd be happy. And that because I'd get to, it's already my, my biggest or close to my biggest position. And I think it would, I would easily double it or so if, um, yeah, if that was the case. Okay. So you're at about a 6 billion market cap, uh, as, mm-hmm. of, as of today. Yeah. You mentioned the re, uh, the repurp- uh, repurchases, um, seeing the, where's total shares outstanding or so yeah you're looking at yearly yeah here's here's but here's the yearly chart you can see the obvious progression down um from about what 63 64 million almost shares in 2017 all the way down to 39 Mm -hmm. or almost 40 million shares uh and this one last year yeah and this one was also found with the magic formula uh, you know it's yeah. about a year a year or so ago more than a year but um that's i i really i think it's important to have one at least um screener or filter before you just you know before you adopt a stock and having something like the magic formula is uh I've had a lot of success using that as like a preliminary screener for for my positions you know yeah, it's a good it's a good place to source some ideas potentially, uh, just for cheapness at least. So what uh what what drew you to this one? Because this is uh this is definitely what we would call a boring business. It sounds like. <laughs> oh yeah, no, super boring. So yeah. I um, magic form. It was actually I think originally a recommendation on the channel, and I love boring businesses like well okay how, how's just this i i work in in um, chemical manufacturing so i'm familiar with you know the manufacturing business and this isn't chemicals but it's manufacturing you know pieces and parts and um and yeah. also i think i i tend towards um stock or stocks that have products that are needed and not necessarily going to be you know, getting replaced because of crazy innovation or something like that. Like it just, it feels nice to have the, you know, you're making building blocks. that's going to be used for future, you know, infrastructure and all that. Like 
that there's that line about you know the best the best person to be during the gold rush was the the one selling the picks and shovels, you know. Okay. And I think with the expansion, with the build back better, build back better, inflation reduction, and then just in general the the AI, the the um, you know all, all the ele- the electric car uh, boom, all of that. I think that the electrical infrastructure is going to continue to grow and it's nice to be, have somebody that's going to have a hand in that, but not necessarily be competitive on the innovation side, you know? That's a, that's a, I think that's a decent way to put it. I mean, they do, according to their description, metal framing, mechanical pipe, perimeter security and cable management. So you know, a lot of that electrical um, stuff that would be used in electrification Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they, they they have two big sectors. They have the electrical sector, and then they have the safety and infrastructure. Which Got it. Is, so that's yeah. a perimeter security. Yeah. I can let me see. I'm a, I might pull up there. Uh, conduits, cables, and installation accessories. Headquartered in Illinois, <laughs> my former state. <laughs> yeah. Founded in 1959, so they've been around. Uh, They've been around, but they've recently, um, I think they've recently gone public though. If you, you know, it's, it's not, so you, you, you just, since then it's just been with the, I don't know if it's new CEO or something, but the, the growth, the share buybacks, that sort of thing has just been really strong. And I mean, a given for me is anything is going to have to have a low debt and, you know, low chance of, of going under in a down cycle. And so like, and yeah, you, you, you know that's also going to be included if it's a magic formula stock, but um, you know, I'm seeing the seven hundred sixty million in long term debt. Um, compare that to about three hundred fifty million in cash, and that's on what we said a six billion dollar market cap. So certainly manageable, at least yeah. on the totals. I don't know what the terms are, but that debt has been coming down in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And, and just. Yeah, like I said, the, the 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 financing, and then I know this is nitpicky, but I talked about it at the last um, the last time I was on. But they have, you know, if a, if a company is going to return value to the shareholders, you know that they, they have two choices: you can do dividends or you can do um, you know repurchases, and they're they're one for one if you think about it like that. But um, if the stock's discounted, obviously it's better to do share repurchases. So I, I much prefer if like, if the company is going to be doing repurchases just because, you know, to me, that's also a signal that the stock's undervalued, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> for some companies, it's a signal that it's undervalued. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, you're right. Others, some of them, and, and I, others can, I argue- can pull up an example of one that, sleep number we talked about it they were buying yeah. back shares whenever they were they were like over a hundred dollars a share buying back shares and then it dropped to 20 and the repurchases just disappeared you know yeah you could argue that for a lot of companies it's the opposite <laughs> as, it, yeah. as the stock runs up um mm-hmm. i mean you see that across a broader market buybacks go up as the market is higher well, now, well like it could be a chicken and an egg thing though too mm-hmm. you know buybacks will push up stock prices and yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that this company has been pretty transparent with like there was an earnings call where 
somebody asked a question like, Hey, do you, do you see yourself doing dividends, you know, anytime in the future? And the CEO or CF, whoever answered the question from the management was like, he kind of laughed at it. And he's like, look, we got to get to at least a 10 PE before we even think of, of any type of other, you know, um, capital allocation. (laughs) So like that. It's a question on every earnings call. When are you going to send us cash in the mail? Like that's that's always a question. doesn't matter who it is. (laughs) And and the answers are usually very convoluted back. Yeah. You know, so it's nice hey, to Patrick. hear something. Like that. Yeah. Hey, do you mind if I ask you a question about this? Um, so yeah. this wave at me, the connection is terrible. Um, so I'm looking at the history of the, the uh, revenue. So was there a, a change that happened sort of around 20? Because I see the revenue was sort of f- slow growth, flattish for about you know, seven years. And then when 2021 hit, it really started to take off. Did something significant happen? Um, I would say that that's, that's been the, really the, the boom of the U S industrial, uh, kind well, you, you had the supply chain restrictions and stuff from, from China. I think a lot of people started wanting to source things domestically and all, almost all their sales are domestically. So I think that you saw that, that was the mm. the big driver there. And it continues to be, I mean, if you look at spending for new, um, you know, industrial spending in the U S has just been ramping up like, uh, like, like never before, you know, like since world war two era, you know, so post COVID. Yeah. Yeah, Right. There's many reasons for that. Hmm. Oh, sorry. I'm saying it's like the onshoring sort of uh, boom, I guess. Yeah, I mean onshoring. that would be. I, I I think that the that the risk here is that it really is just a spike, and that um, yeah, gonna you're not going to see, you know, this be sustainable. And uh, if you own it, what you're betting on is the is the opposite, you know. But I is would that, say that uh, is that risk. why it's priced the way it is? Um, people I think so. A decline. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and I'll talk about this more whenever I get to, to my other one. But in general, industrials and commodity uh, stocks have been—they've been at really low PEs for a while now. And I think it's um, there's actually in Poor Charlie's Almanac, he talks about um, he 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 talks about those stocks, and he says, you know, I think a lot of people with commodity stocks were they're like uh, Mark Twain's cat that you know they it. It sat on a hot stove and after sitting on the hot stove once, it never sat on the hot stove again, but the cat never sat on the cold stove either. You know, so I think a lot of people have been burned by commodity prices, commodities, especially in 08 and stuff. And so they're very cautious to get back into it. But I think that the game has changed. Uh, I think that you see that with Buffett's purchase of uh, Oxy and all that as well. And I'll get into that with, with, with the other idea. but um just the capital allocation is much different and there's less uh, less growth projects and more uh, returning value to shareholders. So you're not going to have that same um, cure to high commodities as high commodities, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, now I, I see this comment from uh, Tony in the chat. He says that insiders own less than 1%. Is that a concern? Uh, I, I mean- I prefer to have to have insiders own more, right? But um, 
like if I could take my pick. But it's 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 obviously something that I look at for for stocks and like it's on my list of you know that this would be great to have, but it's it's down the list pretty pretty significantly. You know, I would say below all the other metrics. You know, and okay, I should say this: if they're repurchasing shares, to me that's a sign that they think it's undervalued. You know, either management itself could be buying back shares or they could personally be buying shares. I'm, I'm fine with either one, you know, and you, you know, the stock's been up. I've talked about this before, but there, I think that there were some insider sells at the last peak. And in general, that doesn't bother me as much because like um, people can sell stocks for many different reasons. You know, like they can need money for something else. They could, it there's there's a million other re- ways why somebody would sell a, a stock but they really only buy it for for one reason you know yeah. and, right. and i don't want to spend too much time on on adcore because like i said i really part of me wants it to go down because i i really would add more if it was uh if i was able to get back in at my original you know close to my original basis or even a little bit up from my original basis but I'd be more, most curious and where, where, you know, revenues, cash flows, everything would, would return to if they, if they come down at all, I, I, I'd try to guess, you know, I, I would assume there'd be some reversion to the mean just if, and let's see how far out we can go. Yeah. Um, so that there was a dip during the, you know, 08 to 2012 ish crash um cash flow went negative it seemed to kind of plateau around 100 million a year and yeah, so in 2021 shot up to half a billion and in 2022 was at 650 uh million so um a large quick increase and you wonder where that where the new average will be yeah and i'm a little confused i know that they went public i think around 2016 so it kind of Maybe they just had the historical data. Yeah, I think they still have to disclose at least some of it, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Uh, you know, when they go public, but um, or maybe if I go to the all-time chart, it looks like they. It looks like it was 2016 when that. Yeah, like you're saying, they went public, but we have, according to this, I don't know if this is different at all than since 2016. But either way, it, the, the the theme of it kind of being around 100 million and then shooting way up. Is definitely mm-hmm. clear. Yeah. But okay. Um, anything else then on AtCore? It's an it's a classic boarding business. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. No, just magic formula, growing cash, uh, lots of share repurchases. That's how I'd sum it up. Yeah. Okay. So let's hear yours. Sure. Um, well, did you want to do your other one as well, or or should we get back to that? Uh, I, I feel like I've been talking too much. All right, so fine, fine, fine. <laughs> yeah, my, Mike will rejoin us in just a second. He's switching rooms uh, as of uh, internet issues, as you might have noticed on the live stream. So he'll be back in a moment. But um, the idea I wanted to talk about, I've done, um, this is more of a, my initial thesis would be more, it would be more on the founder. Um, sorry, I'm trying to pull up the ticker. And that's tiny. The, the company itself is called Tiny. Uh, and this is an Andrew Wilkinson company. He, uh, for those of you who don't know, he's kind of like, um, 
I, I hate this sort of title, but he's he's known kind of as like the the Warren Buffett in kind of the software sort of space. Um, and I actually think that title is like decently appropriate, just in the uh, in the in the principles that he espouses. They're, they're very Buffett Munger Munger esque. Um, they actually recently put out uh, their like a full annual meeting, um, and it kind of mirrored some of the the Buffett Munger Q and A style that they did. Um, it's a five hundred million dollar company. Um, pulling up the uh, ticker now. It's traded in Canada, um, but they recently, like, they just went public because Tiny is like a fund that Andrew Wilkinson runs that owns a bunch of companies, both a, uh, a mix of minority and majority sh- uh, ownerships in businesses. And then they recently merged with WeCommerce, which does like Shopify and um, and uh, like e-commerce uh, plugins and those sorts of things. Uh, they they merged with that. And just very recently went public, uh, and, and they relisted as as Tiny. But you'll you might see the ticker as WeCommerce and Tiny. Um, but anyways, I, I have a few questions on the actual structure here because Tiny itself is a, is an investment fund, and then that merged with WeCommerce. So I'm not really sure what sort of obligations the fund has versus WeCommerce. So I'm not really too sure on that. But I think there's something interesting here just with with ownership that I'd want to look a lot more into just because of uh, uh, Andrew Wilkinson at the, at the helm. He's very outspoken um, and seems very principled. He's very consistent in his messaging. Uh, I listened to uh, the My First Million podcast quite a bit. I would recommend it. Um, and uh, he, he comes on there quite a bit talking about what he's looking at, different business ideas and, and, and that sort of stuff. So very interesting guy and potentially an interesting company. Um, here's kind of their company page I, w- I was looking at earlier, but... Uh, <laughs> you can see the sort of cringy Buffett worship they do because um, they, they, they really are into it. Um, but just because kind of as a summary, you've got, uh, they founded 11 companies within the fund, 35 majority owned companies, bunch of minority investments. And then uh, it's a team that they kind of run of 17 at the moment. And here's the, the team. So uh, kind of sort of mimicking the, the Berkshire model of, of, of you have your kind of internal management and then very decentralized after that. Um, so it's a, uh, it, it, it's it would be really I think a bet on on management and the culture of that management overall, um, and right now the financials are call, kind of all out of whack because like there's massive expenses from the merger, so like it, the last quarter looks terrible, but that's because they like a huge portion of the uh, spending was on the on all the filings and everything to to merge. So um, do you have a do you have access to like their their book value? You know, for yeah. the last several years, because yeah, I, I know I, this one Buffett would always publish for for his. Yeah, so there's not a whole lot of history here because they just like they just went public in April. So a lot of the data we have is for WeCommerce specifically, which is only part of this. You know, um, so I, I don't have a whole lot on anything prior to now, um, but I'm sure you could find a, a decent amount from their fund filings, which I, I just haven't had a chance to get into. Um, but I was really drawn to kind of Andrew Wilkinson and I, I listened to their whole annual meeting in, in this last week. And it was, it was, uh, it, I, I found myself like not agreeing with everything, but there was a lot of values there that were clear that, that I would support. And, um, I think it's something that's worth looking at. Is this a great deal at this price? I don't really know. There's more that need that, that I would need to see, but I think it's an idea that's worth pursuing at least in the meantime. What, um, if you go to the balance sheet, what, what is the book value? Right sure. Now? Let's say tangible, but well, they might have a lot of goodwill. So yeah, 
I want to say there wasn't a ton of goodwill on uh when I was looking at the merger filing, but um, or he's seventeen dollars a share. Yeah, approximately. Yeah, I mean, even even Berkshire's at a premium now. Do they have an insurance company? No, (laughs) as far as I know, no. (laughs) But uh, yeah, they're kind of model that they they go after, at least with the with the tiny fund is they'll they'll look for companies that the idea is that they would make their money back within five years. That doesn't mean they're necessarily buying it at a five X, but if they buy something at a 10 X multiple and they can grow earnings so that Mm -hmm. they do end up getting their money back in five years, that's kind of their, their overall sort of motto. Yeah. It's kind of their, their investment thesis is somehow getting to the point where you get your money back on an investment within five years. Um, So it's an interesting, uh, it's it's a it's a uh, it's it's a very value investing sort of model in what's historically not a very value investing kind of space, which has a lot of software involved and a lot of uh, mm-hmm. kind of it has kind of a very VC element to it. Uh, I, I suppose you could call it like a a, a non insurance Berkshire, which is you know that's a big uh, <laughs> that, that's a that's a very big uh, that's removing the heart of it. But you know a lot of the same values are there, and it's interesting to see how they've been able to grow from where they were many years ago into where now they're actually public, um, which wasn't really apparently their uh, initial expectation that this is how they would go public um, through a merger. But um, mm-hmm. yeah. Any, anyways, I, so just, I was looking into it and I realized, Oh wow, they just went public. And, and, and it kind of sent me down this rabbit hole of listening to some of kind of their, their management values and targets and goals. And um, uh, uh, yeah. So that that's tiny. I, I I don't have a whole lot on the actual financials just because it's so new, um, new to be public. That is, and I and I haven't been a member of their fund, so I, I'm I'm really only seeing what is already public. But so on, do the you web, think- on the website, you could see some just a quick overview of some of the companies that they mm-hmm. own. But it's a lot of these smaller sort of good amount of e-commerce. But uh, one of their physical products they own actually is AeroPress, like for uh, coffee. I think espresso sort of thing. Um, Metal because, another one. Because with the uh, Pareto principle where 80% of your money comes from 20%, you'd assume mm-hmm. that like some of these are the crown jewels. Have you gone yeah. deep enough into it to know which ones are the ones that they're excited I, about? They talk a lot about AeroPress. I think that one has actually done quite a bit, quite well, which is funny because it's not really – it, it actually is a physical product. Um, but I, I believe these top four are where a lot have come from, or at least I spend a lot of time talking about Metal Lab, AeroPress, and Dribble. Um, so – and, and these are the ones that they majority own, as you can see here. But then minority own. There's a ton more um, that aren't shown here. I have um, heard of Dribble. Uh, that's the only one on the list that I, I know. Yeah, I haven't heard a lot of a lot of these either, and that's why I'd want to do more from here. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's that. But, that's tiny. <laughs> but presumably, you're pay, you're you're going to get a some of the parts discount from something like this, right? So if you start adding up the value mm-hmm. of each of them, you're going to get. That's probably, I would assume that's part of the thesis at some point, once you get yeah. down to value each piece. Right. Um, yes. Uh, I, I, I would re- I would recommend listening to their annual report uh, meeting and the Q&A. There was a lot of good questions kind of on multiples because uh, they got questions like, you know, you want to make money in, in five years, but if your business is trading at 15 times um, earnings, like, well, you know, that it doesn't really line up, you know, how, how are we really getting that done? Um, and that's where you explained earnings growth within all of the companies and 
part of that comes from the nice decentralized approach they take to a lot of these companies and in a if, taking a note out of Berkshire's book um, and trying to set up incentives properly. I guess they, they got to meet with Charlie Munger at some point and, uh, and, and Bill Ackman has also funded a, a number of ventures with Andrew Wilkinson. Um, so they're, they're on, they're on the upwards trend, I guess, in the value space, even though, again, it's not really kind of the, what we consider traditional value because it has a lot of that tech element in there too. Um, but interesting nonetheless. Nice one. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I have a whole lot more like granular details, but kind of at, at the higher level, I, I like the sound of it a lot. And, and just, and I've, with the amount of stuff I've heard from Andrew Wilkinson, um, he has a business partner. Someone asked if he has a mini munger, uh, his business partner, Chris is his partner. Uh, he's their, uh, basically their C CFO. Um, so he's, uh, a lot more into the fi financials, I guess. Um, uh, former accountant, if I recall correctly. So not a former attorney, got a former uh, accountant for their version of Munger, I guess. But <laughs> we don't want to count their chickens before they hatch because they got 60 years to go before they can call themselves that. But um, but you can see a lot of the the parallels with how they're attempting to approach a lot of things. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's tiny. Um, not sure if I'll make some big swing into it because I'm not really looking to buy stocks at this time, but uh, it, it's something I'm going to keep in my watch list because I think this will be around for quite some time uh, if what they're saying is true. Any Anything else uh, on Tiny? No, no. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I could bring myself to buy like somebody who manage who who else who then pick stocks like i feel like that's kind of what what we're trying to do is oh, pick you, stocks you know so it's you, like you, i'm you not like gonna the, the the stock picker within the stock picker yeah i, I, will, that I guess like, that i will say like that buying a at least the way, fund of funds yeah. because because of the way they're um because of their size <laughs> their their universe of opportunities is a, is a lot different than say a berkshire um mm -hmm. and so they get into a lot of smaller private deals that would be harder for someone like you and I to access that right now. So you would get that, but yeah, I hear what you're saying though. Like I'm trying to bet on my own stock picking, not, not someone else's, which is fair. I've got a question. So is the, is there, do you know if there's an exit plan or like they're going to build these companies and then sell them off? Because I would assume yep. there's going to be a permanent discount within the, uh, you know. So that's where I'd want to know about, that's why I don't understand, but the fund structure being now merged with a public company, I'm not sure if there's any return of capital at some point, mm -hmm. but I do know that at least when they talk about it, they're trying to hold these companies forever. Um, okay. they, they don't talk about exit plans really. Um, so, you know, if that's any reassurance, but uh, I, again, I don't know if there's some weird thing with the fund where they have to return money after a certain period or, or something, but uh, uh, th that's, that's where my research kind of stopped and I'd like to continue with that. Um, all right, Mike, uh, you're, you're far crisper now. So <laughs> you, uh, would you like, shall we get into your idea? Uh, sure thing. Yeah. Sorry guys. I, my whole week is online meetings and I don't know why it's not cooperating today. So, <laughs> so. it's tired. It needs, oh. a, this is the weekend. <laughs> don't write me off yet. I'll, uh, I'll uh, sort it for next time. Um, 
Anyway, thanks for having me back on, Jack. It's a lot of fun coming on these shows. So uh, yeah, absolutely. Glad, glad to be here. Um, so my pick is PDD Pindu Duo. Uh, I just bought a chunk of it. Mm, let's see, in May, I believe. Um, now, I think that... So I'm just going to focus on one piece of Pindu Duo. I'm going to assume that people know how it works. I'll give you a quick overview of it, but like... I feel like I've found something that I don't think any anybody I've read or listened to hasn't found. So this is either me being smart or it's being very stupid. So I don't know which one it is. Maybe you guys can help me sort out this idea. Um, but so I think that PDD is actually a scaled economy shared model in disguise. Um, I think it's up there with, Costco and, you know, Amazon, those sort of famous Nick Sleep um, examples. Picks. And, and I will get into why I think that. Sorry, Jack, were you going to say something? No, I was just saying uh, his famous picks. But, yeah, but, um, I mean, how so? Uh, just because it's a, you, they have, like, okay. a large platform to kind of go from there, that sort of thing, or... Okay, well, here, let me, let me, I'll start off by like explaining how the company works. So it's, yeah, basically, this is sort of the redheaded stepchild of like Chinese e commerce, right? Everyone thinks Baba, JD, and then PDD is kind of this low rent <laughs> third, <laughs> right? Um, so what they've done is they've built the C2M model, which is like the, the customer talks directly to the manufacturer and orders directly from the manufacturer, right? So they've, PDD has cut out every single middleman that you can, right? There's no dis distributors, there's no middlemen. So there's nobody to add margins in between. And then what they do is on top of that, they have this like sort of group buying model where they like, let's say you want to buy something, Jack. And mm -hmm. the, like on the site, they have two buttons. One is buy one for, they can buy a box of apples for five, five dollars, or you can buy ten boxes of apples with friends for three dollars each, right? And so what they did with WeChat is they allowed like just really like grab people and bring them onto the site really easily, so you could just get friends and everybody just buys the you know buy ten boxes of apples, right? And then PDD delivers them, right? So so what they've done is they've created sort of like they've cut out the middlemen. And they've also added this sort of like bulk buying thing, which allows prices to come down even more because the manufacturers are like, they, they, you know, they want to know that they can sell big volumes and then they can get the prices down. That's sort of like Costco. They buy so much that they can get them for low prices. Right. So that's the, that's the general reason why people like PDD. And then they ended up getting 900 million people on the platform, like super fast, just because people were just bringing their friends in and going, okay, let's all just, buy stuff together, get it cheap. And um, like, I guess the, I would compare this with Taobao. Like, do you guys own Alibaba? Are you guys Alibaba fans? And I did at one point, but not anymore. But, uh, but yeah, go ahead. Okay, so like, yeah, I'm, I've stayed away from everything Chinese, but that's a different story. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay, well, just think about the business model here. Yeah. Like, rather yeah, than yeah. I like Alibaba though, but yeah. So like Alibaba's got one of their platforms called Taobao, which is like, basically it's super cheap to buy and there's, there's a virtually no like transaction fees and stuff like that, which is the same as PDD, but the Taobao, they've got the people selling on Taobao 
are essentially middlemen. They're buying from the manufacturer and then reselling on Alibaba. So they have to cut themselves in on that, right? Plus there's an extra layer of distribution. So PGD's cut that out and they've just cut that guy out and, and it just goes straight from the manufacturer, right? And then what they did is they allowed like these manufacturers to, they trained them on how to advertise because typically that's where distribution and middlemen come in as they get the product to market, right? But PGD's saying, no, no, we'll teach you how to do that. So you don't actually need anybody else. You just pay us the advertising fee and then you just sell right to the customer. We'll provide the distribution and you just hook into our system. So that's not like, for me, that's a great business right there. That sounds really good to me. But then what they do is, uh, Jack, can I send you um, something to put on the screen? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I want to I want to go through the income statement. So if you can pull up, the quarter one income statement there. Cause I think it has to download. I couldn't link you right to the, the statement. It's on page four. Mara. Okay. So yeah, that's perfect. Just like that. So, so they've got 5.5 billion in revenue in the first quarter. Um, right off the top, you see the, the gross profit, the profit, the gross margins, like over 70%, they average around 75%, right? And then if we go, so really, you know, high gross margin. Then if you go down to general administrative expenses, look at that line. That is actually the cost to actually run the platform. So they are running ultra lean, right? Their GNA is 2% of revenue. Okay. So just really, really lean model to start with. And then, okay. So the one I want to focus on is the sales and marketing expense. So see, it's like 2.3 billion, which is a significant chunk of the revenue. So what that is, is what PDD does is they offer you discounts on top of these super cheap prices already, right? So if you go to, like, have you guys tried Timu? It's the U.S. version of of, of their, like, it's they, they built it in the U.S. No, I, I haven't. So, so have if you, you? I, I have. Okay. And so what happens is, like, you go on the site and, like, this... If, before Threads, actually, it was the most downloaded app in the last year or something. Really? Right? I didn't even um, realize that. And you go on there, and the first thing you see is spin the wheel to get a discount. And you spin it, and you go like, oh, 25% off everything you buy. And so that's PDD just giving you a discount on top of what the manufacturers are charging, right? So mm-hmm. they're, they're so super low prices get even lower with PDD throwing money at you. And so everything I was reading, so this is the crux of my point here. So everything I was reading and listening to was saying, this is actually bad. They're going to have to get rid of the discounts. They're going to have to remove these at some point. And then what are they, right? But if they don't just offer everything for free or super cheap, like this kind of crappy business model. But I actually think this is the moat. This is the scaled economy shared because they have like, they still have like, over 70% of their revenue available to do whatever they want with. And they're saying, you know what, we're going to take 20% of that. And we're just going to funnel it back at the customer to get the price even lower. Right. So, so, if you, so it's, the, it's the low cost provider moat, moat really is where you're getting at. Yeah. It's basically yeah, like that's where the Costco comparison comes right, in. I yeah. get it. Yeah. And so like, if you just scroll down, to the end, to the net income line. Oh, it's already there. So one point. So they're already making 20. That's about 20% quarter one. They average about 25% net margin last year. 
that's with all these discounts, right? Yeah, so they're ultra high margin company already. Like what's Costco's? Thirteen percent. They try. Yeah, to I was gonna say around ten. I forget, but yeah, it's either eleven or thirteen. But yeah, they they that's like their commitment. They will keep that at that same percentage. Yeah, right. And but savings on the customer. So the thing is, PD doesn't even have to add that because that's Costco covering all their warehouses and they're just their mm-hmm. staff and everything. So they don't even have that extra bit of margin. It's just coming straight from the source, right? So. So the models even sort of like got cheaper than Costco, I think. Uh, so like roughly making a little over four billion US dollars a year is and then what what are you expecting growth rate to be? Well, if you look at that one right there, that's fifty-eight percent growth, right? So I'm I'm going with twenty-five percent going forward. Okay. Um but the thing is they have they have they have two huge growth arms as well. They've got their like uh, grocery arm, which is way lower margin, but the TAM is huge. Like it's, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what it is. There, I've seen a few numbers, but it's <clears throat> it's in the trillions, right? And they're already the biggest grocery um, uh, company in the in in China right now, and it's just like they're just on a rocket up. And then the second one is the U.S. So. Like I, I downloaded Timu just to try it out, and it's like you compare this the prices on it versus um, Amazon. They're way cheaper if you're just buying stuff. I was going to ask that. Yeah, are they actually the lowest cost provider? <laughs> yeah, they're like easily, and that's even with the shipping. But it's for like China. groceries and stuff. Like, like I can buy groceries from Timu or oh no, sorry, stuff. groceries in China, but Timu is the stuff okay. site. It's okay. like it's like AliExpress or something. Or, or Amazon, right? Yeah. So you can... Are so there cheaper just, things out there than Amazon? I've just been only using Amazon. Yeah, AliExpress <laughs> is the American version of Alibaba, which is that. Um, yeah. Well, maybe do some uh, some investment yeah. research and download Timu and see if, it's, they, yeah, if you can find yeah. stuff that's cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Even yeah. just for personal use, if it really is cheaper. Yeah. Um, it off. No, well, I, I would want to know is... Uh, I mean, it's already large, obviously, but how much, if it gets larger, how, uh, if you're, you know, factoring in a 25% growth rate, I have to believe there'd be some margin compression or no. Um, just because, you know, even though they're running lean, like as stuff gets bigger, you're going to have more expenses you run into, or, or you might uh, have uh, trouble sourcing things at, at the great price that you might be able to do at a smaller scale. Um, so what about, does that concern you at all? The, the thing that more concerns me there is not the size. It's more about a culture shift. If they move away from being like, cause this guy like Colin who originally ran the company and built it is no longer the CEO. So you've kind of got a Jack Ma situation there. And he was like, this company was notorious for like, I think somebody died at work <laughs> and <laughs> it was just like, they just, they, they pay really well, but they work them to the, to the bone. Right. And so like, it's this real culture of efficient, lean, hard work. My fear is the going away from that over time, right? With new management. Well, maybe not going away from employees dying, but. <laughs> well, was, I think, yeah, yeah. Well, well you know. <laughs> I, I, I see what you're saying though. Um, Jack's going soft as a business owner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> So what percentage of their revenue is, is, is China? Uh, most is it... of this is China. Um, okay. The U S stuff hasn't really started yet. They launched in 
November, mm-hmm. I think. And I think they had 50 million downloads in four months or something. Like, so, so like in the US, you think the US component is more like, you know, uh, Shein or Shine, the clothing company? Yeah, frankly. Yeah. So basically, it's this super low cost, like clothing company that's just, it's gone from zero to 100 billion, like overnight because Americans are just like using it like crazy. And so it's kind of like that, but sort of a more generalized retailer. Like the, sorry, sorry, Patrick, the question was about China. So most of this is just the core business right now, but like as the grocery business grows even bigger, the Jack, like you're saying, the margins will come down because the grocery margins yeah. will only be like 4% or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the core business should still be, functional as that grows and have a huge margin on it. Why? Um, I, I think your answer to this question would be they don't have the, the big infrastructure cost to worry about, but why can't any of the other bigger players try to, you know, crowd them, crowd them out. Like, like Baba, for example, is it just because of the massive expenses that they would have to run compared to this one? That's a, I mean, that's a good question. Like, this is what I'm trying to think about. I'm trying to, like, I'm actually coming from an angle, like, if I was competing with them, how could I beat them, right? Because, right. like, if you're beating, if you want to beat them, you have to get cheaper than them somehow, right? And I can't see a path, right? And so, like, Baba has built uh, Taobao Deals, which is their answer to PDD. Mm-hmm. And I think they're up to 300 million customers or something. But it's still a long way from 900 million. Basically, like, everybody uses PDD already. Sure. And so... Yeah, so the question is, sort of thing. maybe they just split the pie after a while, but I think Taobao deals has to get the model right. And then they still have to spend cash flow to discount. Right. And I don't know if I, because I own Baba too, I don't think they're as efficient and lean a company. So I think the overheads that are attached to it are, are just higher. Right. You I guess that I mean? is a good reason why they're splitting things too, you know? Yeah, so maybe different management to be a, Ideally, a little more efficient, you would think. Um, hmm. so, okay. So, um, just like in general, like what? Um, do you have any discomfort of investing in China, or like what would get you past that? Uh, I just, I do have discomfort, um, and it's the, the usual one, like the political, like is is this economic war going to get worse? Like, I don't mm-hmm. think, I don't think either country is stupid enough to start a hot war, but I think the economic battle could get more intense over time, which, which might be a problem. But I, I, I just put, I cap my China exposure at 20%. Does it? Yeah, that, that makes sense. Okay. And you have, do you have Tencent too? No, I've just got Baba and this one. Okay. Okay. Now, why, yeah. why did it say that they were headquartered in Dublin, Ireland? I noticed that. Yeah, as well. I don't know the answer to that. Okay, yeah, just... that was on uh, that was on Jack's page. I saw that. Yeah, on ticker it says the company was formerly known as Pinduo uh, Duo Inc. and changed its name to PDD Holdings Inc. in February 2023. <clears throat> PDD Holdings Inc. was incorporated in 2015 and is based in Dublin. Must is it a tax move? I think but, it's a tax move. What wasn't all Apple's money in? Ireland for a long time, and then Trump yeah. to bring it back. But uh, but then uh, that begs the question: How do they own? you know, the, the Chinese holdings, cause that's a whole thing, you know, only Chinese, the, the ADR things that we've talked about before for, yeah. uh, for other companies. Um, yeah. I wonder, I wonder how they actually own it. If you happen to know Mike. 
I, yeah. I am not good at detail. You're the lawyer. You're the one. Yeah. I'm not a securities lawyer. Maybe I should be. <laughs> but, but yeah. And that's like a whole different can of worms just because of the, 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 you know, Chinese government involvement. Uh, they have a lot of sway. That's for sure. I, I guess I just don't, I, I personally don't believe that the Chinese government is stupid. Like I think they know they, they, that foreign capital coming in is good for, good for the country. And I don't think that they're going to mess with that. That's it, my it, belief. Yeah. And, and I, I see that side for me, it's also just uh, there, like there's no transparency, transparency to like the population itself. Like, are they going through an extreme population collapse, you know, right now because mm-hmm. of the, and like, what does that look like in 20 years? And it's, there's all kinds of, it's just like, you look over at China and it's just like a gray, there's like, you, you can't see it's anything. Obscure. That, From over yeah. here, I suppose. Yeah. It is obscure. And that kind of, I don't know. That's what's, that's what's. Uh, that kind of, that, that kind of had me concerned as well. It's uh, I, like, I kinda, what, go ahead. Oh yeah. I was just saying like one, one of the guys, that I kind of li- listen to um, it's a uh, Peter Zihan and he's kind of, mm-hmm. he's a geopolitical person and he's very much tied to, to my industry with the, you know, fertilizers and chemical production and stuff. And I don't know, it's like what I, China seems like there's some strange stuff going on as far as ma- mainly driven by population. And so like, I, if, if that happens, it seems like, you know, all this other stuff, it's just an unknown to me. I think there's geopolitical risks with any investment, really. Um, and that's where kind of investing in what you know is helpful. Um, and it, yeah, I, I, that was my main concern, though, with China was just like information obscurity, like what's what's real and what's not. Um, maybe that's unfounded, maybe not. But uh, um, there, there are definitely lots of opportunities out there. So um yeah, I think that's. I think all that stuff's totally fair. Like people who don't want yeah. to invest in China, I totally get it. I like. I'm just looking at this through the lens of what's the best business, and I'm like, yeah. this is a phenomenal business. Like with like, it's unbelievable. It's better than yeah. everything else I own, right? And I'm like, I gotta buy some of it, right? Because it's just so <laughs> amazing, right? Because um, like, you no, know, yeah, it looks it looks good. It's. I mean, shoot. I think anybody would buy Costco right now at 20. I know PDD's 20 times earnings, you know, and it's going to have higher growth than, than Costco is what you're saying. But I think anybody here would buy Costco at 20 times earnings, you know? Oh yeah. And that's like, that's the same way I felt about Alibaba and all that intense, like JD all like, they all look great. And even Charlie Munger said the same thing, you know, you can just find much better valuations for great businesses in China. It's just, yeah. I like the 20% rule though. Cause yeah, I think I stole that from someone. But, but I, I, th- oh, I think uh, I want to say Tom does something like that. I could be putting words in his mouth, but I think uh, our, our very own Tom d- does that. It uh, mm-hmm. has like a fixed cap on it, uh, just because you got to, you know, you want to draw the line somewhere. And that kind of goes for any concentration yeah. of holdings. Doesn't not necessarily from one country, but you know, what's the mm-hmm. maximum you would make on an initial bet on a company? Uh, just to you know, keep yourself sane and safe. <laughs> You're not overexposed. Um, yeah. Seems, seems like a fair thing to do. <clears throat> um, can I just throw, I just want to throw the risk here. Like the, the one risk that like, based on what you, you were asking me for, Jack is like, mm-hmm. I think the risk is something like an Amazon bundle. Like if Alibaba figured out a big bundle, 
to put together and say, if you're a member of Taobao deals, you get all this, these additional perks, like, because they have a huge entertainment arm and they have all this other stuff, like they could potentially put together a package that PDD can't compete with. Like there's, there's no evidence that that's happening, but I was like trying to think, okay, maybe there's value adds somewhere else where people could undercut them that way. Yeah. It'd be hard to beat the efficiency though, uh, at scale. Um, because they are like, you're competing at someone who already has the market share. So to get in there, you'd have to somehow undercut them, which is very hard without scale. But to get the scale, you need like you need some market share, but they already have it, you know. So it's like a it's very hard to get started. Um, maybe you're right that the the bigger one is the the culture shift of management, if there's anything like that, uh, and if uh, they no longer remain as lean as they have been, that that could be a, a major problem if, as yeah. they scale. Let's see, maybe that's just it. It's not even outside competition; it's just internal dissolution or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I mean that's 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 where I've gotten to. If you think of other ones, let me know. At first glance, it seems about right, but yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, anything else then on, on PDD? An interesting thing. answer that question about China, if you want to highlight it. What is it, the most recent one? Yeah. Yeah, does, does Patrick have reservations about investing internationally in general, or is it more specific to China and their lack of transparency? I guess that yeah. you're referring to your cap. Yeah, under, yeah, so. Or, yeah. Not your calf, but yeah, go ahead. Actually, yeah, I, I said like I, I said China, but really he's right here. I mean, I I think I own zero international stocks. I don't even like investing in Canada, you know, like <laughs> yeah, so yeah, tiny, I, I you know. That too. I feel that too. <laughs> but so uh, like. that's just that's uh oh, is he from Canada? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't invest in Canada. I, I, <laughs> I it's more just what I know, though. It's not like a political thing, you know. I think. If there was a product that was very present here, but that it happened to be headquartered internationally, I would I would be fine investing in it. Like some an example of that would be, um, I think Garmin was one I almost bought if it would have dropped further. But it was it was always like it just never got to like my margin of safety level. And it's a watch company in Switzerland, but um, you know that, that 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 sort of thing. So yeah, but they have big operations here, right? Yeah, and yeah. and I could see myself doing something like like t- Toyota or you know one 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 of the ones that that you can see here you know that's yeah that's fair fine. enough yeah but, well I, I, Alibaba does have AliExpress <laughs> yeah <it's Alibaba. laughs> that counts does the website count <laughs> <laughs> well also I don't own any well I guess I do own some soft I don't know website that sort of things tech fin stuff I stay away from that too you know you want the real stuff you want to hold yeah, it. real. I want to be able to hold the product. You want to visit yeah. it. <laughs> visit it. Yeah. Um, but all right. Fair it's enough. It's just a circle of competency thing. Less. Yeah. Than, yeah. More than anything. And ease of access and everything to information, especially and getting the vibe, if you will, <laughs> that is important. Uh, Luis with a the kind super chat. That's of three of, of three dollars fifty cents. What does that? Is this a reference? Yeah. <laughs> About tree fitty, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so then we're running uh, out of time, right? Yeah, so. Patrick. I don't know if you want to do a quick pitch on your on your other one. You, you can't can tease, tease us, and then, and then yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll let you go. No, I'm gonna be yeah. very quick. Then it's yeah, a basket. Um, American uh, 
chemical fertilizer uh, companies. I feel like it's a commodity. Um, I mean, I have a bunch of notes. I'll just give you the high level stuff. I can't speak too specifically because I actually had a video on one and then there was some, it got a little too close to home as far as where I work. And so it's taken down, but um, similar to Buffett's oxy bet, right? You it's the commodity market that was boom and bust for a long time, but now you have this huge um, focus on low capex returning there. There's a company I, that I own that said they're returning their plan is to return a hundred percent of free cash flow to um, stockholders. Like everything beyond, if it's not maintenance capex, they're not doing it. Like zero growth, and I think that combined with the international like macro stuff going on, um, specifically the the war in Ukraine, the 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 pipeline that got blown up from Russia to Europe, like natural gas discrepancy in the U.S. versus Europe because the U.S. shale and all that is. It's we're we're like by far the low cost producer um, compared to any other uh, m- manufacturer outside, and that it's more you know low cost producer up market plus good capital allocation and low debt and yeah that's um, so would that be more of like a a trade then or are we talking about like long term hold um, or are you are you just it's a cyclical to- it's a cyclical yeah. move yeah. so. You know, I could see myself selling it, but um, it would have to be at an attractive. I hate paying taxes, so like that's <laughs> it would it would have Fair. to be at a good at a pretty high uh, premium. You know, Fair. so um, I mean, if you look, I sent you a couple graphs. You don't have to pull them up, but U.S. natural gas right now is like two sixty per MMBTU, and in Europe, um. If you convert it, it's like eight dollars per MMBTU. I mean, it's Europe's in uh, euro per megawatt hour, but same thing. So that's Henry Hub. That's going to be the U.S. price, mm. and that's going to always be low just because of our um, our natural resources. Like nothing, no American elitism or anything like that. Like it's just like that's what we have here. We have almost unlimited with the shale and all that, and then the the European natural gas is um what is it 25 euro per mmbtu which translates to about eight dollars i mean 25 euro per megawatt hour which translates to like eight and so basically like i said low cost provider and in is in the u.s and the demand is is growing you know so yeah it's it's just a supply demand play Hmm. but also own low debt smart capital allocation companies, not the reverse, you know. Sorry, Patrick, what's the ticker? So it's a basket, but I really do own a couple of them. And I, you, I mean, I'll give you a few. So, so CFs one mosaic nutrients in Canada, which is uh, interesting, but there's one in Australia. That's I'm, I, I was hoping to have Tom on here because I wanted to get his opinion on on that. I know he's not in Australia, but you know, he's close enough. <laughs> but anyway, um, that's that's it. I just think it's it's similar to the oil thesis without the downside of you know the horrors of of oil, you know, and how how bad it is. You know, that these are fertilizers. This is a net good. You would you would hope, right? For and then, um. Let's see one last thing about it. Oh, 
it's extremely hard. Even if they wanted to do growth and stuff or have competition in the U S it's extremely hard because of all of our new environmental permit permitting regulations to start new chemical plants here. Like, I mean, it's, it's crazy. I deal with it every day. The, the mm-hmm. government, there's so much red tape and extra cost to, mm-hmm. to starting new. Whereas if you're already here and you, your grandfathered in, in a way, um, it's, it's a big help. So, well, then you you also have, um, you know, Fosagro in Russia. Mm-hmm. So that, so I think they're the biggest company, right? And they've basically been taken off, taken out of the system, right? Because of the, because of the war. Yeah. 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 And, and I like that nitrogen side more just because of the, the natural gas discrepancy, but phosphate, I mean, obviously with mosaic, there's phosphate exposure, but yeah, I like the ammonia side. I think that yeah. that's easier to grasp. Yeah. I was looking at natural gas and I thought, oh, how do I play this? Because I think it's probably going to come up at some point like as a trade. And so it's an interesting idea, like an indirect play on it. Yeah, don't buy, buy something that doesn't have a lot of decay. That's my uh, advice. Yeah, if you're going to buy a natural gas ETF. But like that's mm-hmm. I, I thought the same thing. Like I think that the natural gas is going to go up. So like how do you profit off of that? Do you I think the best way is to own good commodity companies that are going to prosper if the price is realized don't go buy natural gas etfs i've learned that lesson (laughs) the price stays like this you know the price goes up and down and stays the same and you lose like 60 percent. you're like what the hell (laughs) that's that's you know leveraged etfs or something like that don't do that don't make that mistake i think i have made that mistake (laughs) yeah yeah that's an easy one when you're just starting that's a very easy one to make okay all right then Anyway, that was quick. Net, net fertilizers, net gas exposure. Okay, fair enough. Um, well, and great. You're, and you're playing that discrepancy between the U.S. and the and the rest of the world. Yeah, right. But anyway, cool. Sorry. Well, thank you both for coming on. I think this is a fruitful best ideas episode. Now, uh, whether it actually bears fruit long term, I don't know. But short term, I I thought this was nice. So, so thanks for coming on. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have to have both of you back on at some point soon. Um, uh, Patrick, I think you're you're slated for uh, a couple episodes in the near future. So hopefully you still can come. I'm putting pressure on you now. And uh, mm-hmm. Mike, we'd love to have you yeah. back soon as well. Um, but otherwise, uh, if you've made it this far, please like, comment, subscribe, all that great stuff. It helps the channel out a ton. And be sure to stay tuned for next week and all the other content we're going to have coming out in the near future. Uh, we're rolling out some some shorts, for example, to help uh, get some more exposure for the channel. And then we'll get some new shows, uh, like midweek shows, in the very near, near future. So looking forward to that. So stay tuned. Subscribe. Hit the bell icon so you don't miss future uh, episode notifications. And until next time, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Punch Card Investing. The contents of this show should not be used as investment advice or as a recommendation to invest in a particular security. Please consult with a licensed investment advisor if you need investment advice. All investments carry risk and the potential for monetary loss. Thank you and see you next week.